Hi, welcome to True Creeps, where the stories are true and the creeps are real. We'll cover stories from grotesque gore to the possibly plausible paranormal, to horrifying history, to tense and terrible true crime, and everything else that goes bump in the night. We're your hosts, Amanda, and I'm Lindsay, and we want you to join us while we creep. We cover mature topics. Listener discretion is advised. Hey, everybody. Welcome to our tar and feathered episode. So random. You never quite know what we're going to do. Nope. It is so random. It is so random. But it's interesting. Yeah. We were like dreaming up what we wanted to do for this week. We had several things that we started to research and then stopped. And then we were like, what are we not talking enough about? Tar and feathering clearly is where we are. I think that like, <laughs> so I find it interesting, old punishments and horrifying how sometimes they aren't so old. Yes. Yes. Agreed. I was not expecting like this to have happened as recently as it has. Yes. I also had some assumptions that were very wrong. Yeah. Same. Same. We're going to talk about tar and feathering. We're going to talk about what it is, why it was happening, what happens after. We're also going to talk about several instances of tar and feathering, but obviously not every single instance of it because it happened more often than you would think. So let's just jump right on in to how one is tar and feathered. So here's what they did. The person's clothing from the waist up was removed. Then pine tar was applied. It never occurred to me that it was like pine tar, like sap. In my head, it was like tar tar, which is much worse. So pine tar, still not great because it was sometimes heated up. So hot tar, hot sticky tar, still not great. That was applied liberally to the upper body. From what we saw, it was often shoulders to like waist. It wasn't typically the face. And then feathers were applied after that. Sometimes they were from pillows. In older stories, people were carted about to further humiliate them. And we'll actually talk about what that is called because I didn't know this, that there was a name for the public shamings as people were having them, which blows my mind. Yeah. But we'll get into that too. And then sometimes, and this feels extra humiliating, where they would like smear the tar on them and then they would make them roll in feathers make them do it themselves Mm -hmm. also if they didn't have pine tar available sometimes they would use molasses oh no no more and it would be warmed up too i know it's not a good molasses application no no so let's talk about why people were tar and feathered and it's typically a punishment for varied criminal or moral offenses it was meant to humiliate the offender But it was also, like Lindsay said, incredibly painful. Sometimes the crowds that were watching would also attack the person while this was all happening, which seems just a little much. Some think it was also done because it was a crime deterrent. So people would see, oh, this would happen if I do something bad. Therefore, I will not make that choice. I'm not generally committing crimes. I say generally. I'm not committing crimes. (laughs) But I feel like... Most, I feel like that would, if if this was like in the mix as something that could happen, it would be even less likely. Are you saying that that's the season? Not saying that we should do this. No, because like there's plenty of crime deterrent that exists in the world already that does not deter crime. No, that's true. So it wasn't an official punishment. So like if you do this, then you're tarred and feathered. Like that didn't happen. It was just a punishment that could occur. So We're going to talk about the first recorded instance that it happened and the complications that happen when you are tarred and feathered. So the first recorded instance of tar and feathering is from Richard I of England, and it was in 1189, and it was a punishment for theft on his sea vessels. That feels like a hefty punishment for theft, but in his official order, he said... Amanda's like ready. She's ready for my weird accent. I can't do a British accent, so who knows who will be. Probably just <laughs> default a to a very bad transatlantic one. He shall be... Fa- <laughs> She's already like off camera. She's already horizontal. I feel like I need to back the microphone up because I'm going to be loud. So here we go. Because I have to... like It has to boom, you know? Okay. You have to get ready. Okay. He shall first be shaved, then boiling pitch shall be poured upon his head. 
and a cushion of feathers shook over it so that he may be publicly known. And at the first land where the ships put in, he shall be cast on shore. A cushion? Is that what you said? Cushion. <laughs> cushion. <laughs> You're welcome. You're so fucking welcome. <laughs> Perfect. You have to, like, if you're going to give a tar and feathering proclamation, it has to be, you have to mean it. <laughs> I also just want to point out, it's important to note that this first instance is, what, 1189? Mm -hmm. And when you consider what we're going to talk about next, which is what happens after you are tar and feathered, I just want to point out that year is like, that's the first recorded instance. It's possible and likely that it was happening before then, because wouldn't it be fucking weird if he's like, someone stole from my ships. You know what we should do. Right. <laughs> like, I can't imagine, like, that just seems like a, a zany kind of punishment to just randomly think up. Right, right. Very original, but probably not for him. So what happens after you are tarred and feathered? It typically wasn't lethal, but it was extremely painful. And it would normally leave terrible burns and blisters, which makes sense. Like, if it's hot, it's going to fuck up your skin. Removing the tar would pull out a person's hair and sometimes pieces of skin, too. And I know it's not the same thing, but, like, have you ever gotten, like, tar on your foot at a beach? No. You're like, I don't go outdoors. <laughs> I go outdoors. I've just never been at a beach where they had tar balls. And I know what that is because of our blobs episode. <laughs> Well, sometimes they're so tiny you don't notice. Not that I've gone to like a million beaches or anything, but there's been times where you'll be like, oh, no, there's a little bit on your foot. And that even is extremely hard to get off. So like, I can't imagine, you know, this. So once it happened too, it could lead to a ton of infections. And just as a note, penicillin wasn't invented till 1928. And even then, it wasn't mass produced till the 40s. So like, when you think of infection? You know, ways to treat it. This also means that the practice of tar and feathering is over 700 years older than the cure for the infections that it could cause. Blows my mind. The idea that you would have something that could cause this level of damage that you're doing, but not the best ways to treat it. Like, okay, sure, it's not lethal right now. Right. But what happens because of it could be. Yeah. So in the Middle Ages, sickness was seen as a punishment for moral failings which is so sad. Wine was also used as an antiseptic for wound care. It's also, if you think about that tar and feathering is sometimes used as a punishment for like moral offenses, the wounds that come from tar and feathering, like say you did get an infection, right? If they're already seeing sickness as a proof that you are not morally great, then I could see that logic of being like, well, this is what you get. Yeah. yeah. Which is shitty. It is. Right. So poor hygiene generally, but also in regard to healers, could make injuries worse that were caused by burns or infections. Common healing practices by physicians included induced vomiting, bleeding with or without leeches, and sweating. Party. The bleeding part always gets me like, oh, gross me out. Mm -hmm. We talked about that a lot, actually, in our strange doctoring episode. So treatments for burns was not revolutionized until the 18th century. So for much of history of tar and feathering, victims could face serious complications as a result of the tar and feathering. So again, it's not going to kill them, but what happened after definitely could. So let's get into instances of tar and feathering. In 1623, Bishop Halverstade ordered that drunken friars and nuns in a particular party be tar and feathered. Again, a very steep punishment for being a little drunk. Yeah, yeah. Right? In 1789, a British soldier was caught having sex with a turkey, and he was tarred and feathered. Some of the sources that we saw on that one talked about that it was the turkey's feathers that they put on him. And I'm like, hasn't that turkey oh, no. gone through enough? Yeah, that's... Like, just what the fuck all around? Well, yeah, yeah. In so many ways. In every way. But like, and now, now you take its fucking feathers... Oh, fucking traumatized turkey. I feel like he should get something worse than tar and feathered. It just feels really, it's really fucked up. It's fucked up. Yeah. It's fucked up. So we're going to turn to colonial America because most people, when they think of tar and feathering, that's what they think of. And it is the time period in which the most tar and feathering was happening. We're going to talk about another instance as well. 
But before we get into colonial tar and feathering, we're going to talk about charavari. It's also known as a skimmington, which these sound like delightful names for something, but they are in fact not. So basically what it was, was think like a mocking parade that was intended to humiliate someone. And it was done by a community. There wasn't just like two assholes. It was like a group of people have gotten together to publicly shame someone. Typically, there would be music involved. And some people would bang on pots and pans during this. If you've seen Game of Thrones, think of Cersei's shame walk. That, to me, seems like a good example of this outside of tar and feathering. So there's three different types of charivari. The first is the most violent type, and that's where the victim is dragged from their home or work and they're forced to parade around the community. And sometimes the crowd would throw things at the victim. Then there's the impersonation type, and that's when a neighbor would impersonate the victim, which is the person who was being shamed while they were carried through the streets. And the last is where there's an effigy that's carried throughout the area. And as it's carried around, it's abused. And at the end, it's typically burned. And so in this version, the charivari of tar and feathering would be that first violent one because the person is essentially abducted and then violence ensues and they're kind of carried around to be further embarrassed. We've talked about this in previous episodes too, where we've talked about people being publicly hanged and very public punishment. And I think that that just really blows my mind. That is something that was regularly happening in our history. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of, I think, several of our episodes that we've gone into it or like some of the haunted places like that's why people think it's haunted or whatever yeah yeah like it just it doesn't click in my brain wanting to see someone suffer because even if like they've done something horrifically wrong I don't enjoy seeing a person in pain yeah I think the only time where I'm like I could see someone possibly wanting to is if that person either like killed or did something horrific to a family member or a child and like for their peace of mind to know, okay, they cannot come back. They are dead. Maybe that? I think that there's a a stark difference between wanting to see justice and wanting closure and wanting to publicly shame, humiliate, and abuse someone. Right. Like the public part, I don't understand. I... I feel like most of them would be okay with just seeing like the body after. I mean, like, okay, they are. Yeah, dead. yeah, it is done. Yeah, and I mean, I could especially see if there was, say, there were many people who were murdered, and there was a survivor. It's reasonable that they will want to yes. see it happen so that they could have some type of peace if that was something they were comfortable with. But when we look like historically, it is not an uncommon practice to publicly shame people. The most modern equivalent in terms of our justice system, is televised trials. But even that is very calculated. They're very aware of the defendant's rights and their ability to be able to have a fair trial. It's not just for the spectacle of it. The point of it is not to shame the defendant. It's so that we have an open justice, like so we can see like what is happening in our justice system. There's a different purpose to it, but I just find it really interesting. Like you'll see that on like social media, right? Where people just kind of like gang up on someone. But even that is so different than watching this type of violence. Well yeah, and a trial is also to hold both parties accountable. Right. For justice, like to ensure even like the judge or whoever, the prosecution, everyone's doing everything properly. Right. But yes, when we're talking about like the public punishments, like you said, a lot of the time it's like pain and suffering on top of it. It's not just the punishment. It's like a horrific punishment. And there is a difference between that. Yeah. But when you mentioned like social media, unfortunately, throughout the years, and I think even recently, there have been kind of on the same topic, but off, but there have been public deaths and like suicides. I just saw someone, I didn't watch it, obviously, but I saw someone talking about someone that killed themselves on TikTok recently, even like alive. And it's like a similar type of thing happening, right? It's a, a public forum where there's violence happening, but is it the same as vigilante justice that is carried out by a crowd where the majority is not stopping it like again i'm not condoning any type of violence and i'm not condoning any type of 
social media posting of violence either, obviously, right? But when someone is sharing on social media an act that they've done, it's done by that person typically, unless there was like a group, right? But typically it's like one-on-one. The crowd might be in the comments, but they aren't present most of the time. I don't know. It's just, I think this would be different in the digital age. And I think that there is a certain amount of shaming that occurs, but I don't think it's this level of violence. I think that it could get there if we were to take several steps backwards in our country, which we have done in the past decade. So it is alarming because right, like there is a tendency for people to feel viscerally about political issues and to not just disagree with someone's viewpoint, to disagree with their, their mere existence in the world. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's terrifying that we as like, like a people might be going backwards into that way where like we had made some headway in terms of being like more compassionate more reasonable people obviously we're not there all the way but like a little bit of leeway right but so back to our tar and feathering so when tar and feathers weren't available they would use syrup and cattails do you have cattails there they're the worst if you have them around you have to be careful with your pets too because they dig yes yes they do There was an increase in this punishment when the Townshend Acts passed in 1767. And what that was, was an imposed tax for glass, lead, paint, paper, and tea. This was because people were tar and feathering the people who were enforcing the Townshend Act. Upheaval of the Townshend Act would eventually lead to the Boston Tea Party. I have a very important question for you. You are West Coast. Right. Yes. And have always been. Yes. I am the expert at West Coast. Right. Is is the American Revolution glorified to you over there? Glorified? Like, are people fucking excited about the American Revolution where you are? No, not particularly. OK. On the East Coast, we're very excited about it. Like, people are hyped. Like, we don't have any monuments of it or anything like that. You know, like, our history doesn't really have as much i guess yeah well i mean like arizona came much later but like it is still the nation you were a part of that's interesting it it didn't occur to me until we were doing this research that i was like i wonder if amanda was like raised on like listen to all of this stuff about the american revolution like (laughs) not so much it is over here of course like in school and everything they'll we'll do like different tasks to talk about it or like there are museums and things like that but there's not like i don't know statues where you'd find in other states yeah well i mean like the there's locations here right like that had to do with it but it's just interest it's just interesting i just didn't it didn't occur to me that it might not be so like let's fucking go not so much not over there yeah interesting so even after the taxes were repealed tarring and feathering continued Commonly, the tar and feathering was used against British loyalists. And in one story, a large group of women were at a quilting event when a man began loudly proclaiming his loyalty to England. So the women eventually got tired of him talking and thought, you know what we should do? We should tar and feather him. And so that's what they did. But they didn't have tar, so they used molasses. What an interesting time period to be like, there's no other solution to get this man to stop talking. (laughs) We must overpower him, strip him, cover him with molasses and feathers. There's simply nothing else we could do. Yeah. Let me get back to my quilting. This is going to be the easiest way. Please, please just silence yourself. I am tired of hearing you speak. So John Malcolm was tarred and feathered twice. Mm, That's a bad time. That's a bad time. He was a British loyalist in colonial America. And he was the comptroller for the customs service. And the first time was in 1773. And it happened a year later. And the second time was more severe. And pieces of his skin from his knees had to be removed. No, no, no. And also, interestingly, so shock, shock, you were scarred from these wounds, right? It's called tar acne. And like, it's not as though your body just like heals smoothly or it looks like a normal scar. Like it's like pock marks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So another person, actually, we've mentioned this name before when talking about Lori Vallow, which seems very strange, but Joseph Smith, and he was a Mormon prophet. 
1832, he was taken from his bed and tarred and feathered. Some think it was done because the people who did it were anti-Mormon. Others speculate that he had been intimate with a younger girl from the area. There have also been failed attempts to castrate him before he was tarred and feathered. Yikes. That's wild. Yeah. So, okay, we leave colonial America and tar and feathering dies out-ish. And as we move into the 1900s, we'll see a distinct shift in what tar and feathering is being used for. And it's being used primarily as a tool for white supremacists. As we researched, I knew that it happened after colonial America. I didn't realize the extent to which tar and feathering was being used as like a punishment for people of color who were acting in a way that racist white people didn't like or as a punishment for white people who were advocating or associating with people of color. The sheer volume of instances is pretty fucking disgusting. And I think it's interesting that when we think of tar and feathering, we think of colonial America, despite a lot of these things happening within the last hundred years or so. Right, right. And that's not great for what I think of like history lessons, right? And like the big parts that as an adult, I'm like, oh my gosh, I didn't know that happened. Why didn't I know that that happened? Well, and it's because we're given a really, really incomplete version of history. And that's one of the reasons why it's so incredibly important that education not take out. Skip the bad stuff. Diversity generally, but also specifically critical race theory. When you do that, it just reinforces that we should get rid of pieces of history that are unpleasant in our history books. Well, they minimize all of that. Yeah, they're like... You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Or they'll they'll put a little blurb. They'll be like, oh, and it was horrific because this happened. And then it would go into something else. And you're like, but that's a major piece of history that we just, all of us, like, I think everyone in our age range. Yes. Maybe before, a lot after, just skipped a whole section that was just so important to understand. And this is one where I'm like, when we were researching, it's like, yikes, like, why didn't we know more of this and more of like, yeah. The horrific things, because we know, you know, in our head now, especially as adults, we're like, okay, we know a lot of the horrific things that happened. We know around about what time it wasn't that long ago. But then here's just some added detail. Yeah, it's I think it's important to to know some specifics of like America has been heinous to people of color for as long as America has been America and even before then. But what exactly does that mean? Because So often people are like, racism doesn't exist. And it's like, if you can't acknowledge what our country has done already, how can you understand how this is being perpetrated today still? One of the the very interesting things that we noted was that a lot of sources talked about tar and feathering starting in the 1900s being really like a mob justice, which not that it wasn't like that before, but it was like a mob justice in areas where official law enforcement wasn't there to take action. And it completely pulled out the racial element, which very interesting, very disgusting. So we're not going to do that same thing. We're going to talk about it. We're going to dive into it. It's important to acknowledge The first case that we're going to talk about is before the 1900s, and it's from 1897, and it's Peb Falls. And she was tarred and feathered because of her disreputable character. And her character was called into question because she was a white woman who was spending time with black people. Some sources say that she was also an alcoholic as well. One of the newspapers that wrote about what happened to Peb was the Allentown Morning Call newspaper, which is from Pennsylvania. And the Morning Call newspaper said that Peb was, quote, hideously depraved from her early youth. This newspaper also had a description of her tar and feathering. And they said she was pulled from a shack, stripped naked in the street of Cowans and held tightly by several men. As she screamed, they applied hot tar to her body from head to heels, which is significantly more than we've heard before. Mm then showered with small feathers all over her and turned her adrift naked, save for the char and feathers. Again, it, it's, a, it's a stark contrast from the waist up. Right. And also where it was shoulders down. Mm-hmm. So you weren't doing things like blinding people. There are some reports in the months that followed Peb's alcoholism worsened and that as a result, she was forced out of town and had to live in the woods. That's a lot. Yeah, it is. And it, it gets worse. So just a few months after Peb's tar and feathering, her partially decomposed body was found hanging from a sycamore tree. Many people argued that 
the black people that she hung around had gotten mad at her for stealing. So they lynched her to make it look like it was a crime committed by white men. However, most agree that it was likely the same men who tarred and feathered her that hung her as well. And as far as we could see in our research, we could not see any evidence that suggested that the men whose identities were known ever faced any repercussions for their crimes. That's gross. Mm -hmm. The next event that we're going to talk about is in April of 1919. And 60 white students at the University of Maine surrounded the dorm room of two black students, Samuel and Roger Courtney, around 2 a.m. The mob's plan was to tar and feather the brothers. Some sources suggest that their plan was just to, quote, haze them and that tar and feathering came as a reaction to what they did in response to being cornered. There was at most at this point in time, a dozen black students at the University of Maine. So Samuel and Roger see that there is many, many white students outside of their dorm room trying to get in. They barricade themselves in their own room and eventually the students fight their way in. They push their way in and they get past the barricade. Samuel and Roger are understandably terrified. So they knock three of the students out before fleeing. And I've seen some sources that say they had a hammer, but there's 60 against two. So whatever weapon you have feels very reasonable, in my opinion. At this point, they are fleeing. So the mob of 60 suddenly grows exponentially to more students. And some sources say people who lived in the nearby town as well. And they split up to try to find the brothers. And they're found right before they're about to get on a bus out of town. They are forcibly taken back to the campus, wearing horse halters on their necks, and they eventually were taken to the Livestock Viewing Pavilion. Samuel and Roger were then stripped naked, and then they were held down and shaved. They were then forced to cover each other in hot molasses, and then the mob covered them with feathers from their dorm room pillows. Law enforcement was called hours before they were tarred and feathered, but they only arrived to the scene after it had already happened. Of course. And again, right, they're getting there just as this is ending. So you can see who it is. These people were not wearing masks. And Samuel and Roger were popular before this. Like they were like well-liked. And some people thought that they had like a quote-unquote attitude. And that was one of the things that made them want to haze Samuel and Roger. But so no arrests are made. The university's president, Robert Ailey, said that it was hazing. And he said it was, quote, likely to happen anytime at any college, the gravity depending much upon the susceptibilities of the victim and the notoriety given it. Get fucked. Yeah, yeah. Middle of the night, 60, then dozens more. What? No, and like in the middle of the night, shouldn't these 60 students and people be doing, I don't know, sleeping or studying or anything literally anything else to do with a university you know this was just one of the many many violent events that occurred in 1919 in the united states and scholars have named this period the red summer there were dozens of riots and lynchings as we continue to talk about this we're going to talk about the actions of white supremacists against people of color however some of this information is hard to find because when they'll use, sometimes the word lynching is used broadly. So we don't know if it was if there was an instance of tar and feathering that was described that way. So it's kind of it's a little bit harder to find. Right. Some people also use Red Summer to describe 1917 to 1921 as well. And Samuel and Roger's story was found by a historian at the University of Maine who was looking into the history and specifically doing research into the Red Summer. And her name was Karen Sieber. And so she was very surprised when she found that the school that she was working in had that. Yeah. This had happened and that there wasn't a lot of information shared. And since then, there's been articles published like by the actual university acknowledging just how fucking terrible it was. But there are pictures of Samuel and Roger that exist on the Internet. We're not going to share them, but you can see the people's faces around them. Some are laughing. They're laughing. Their faces are incredibly clear. There is no debate on who did this at the time. And the fact that nobody was arrested for essentially kidnapping and assaulting them is insane to me. Yeah. Yeah. Especially because what the authorities came at the end of it. So pretty easy. Yep. And then people from the university just brushing it off, letting them know it's fine. 
Yeah. Well, and some people say that the reason why this particular event happened was because they had knocked those three students out in the beginning when they were trying to get away. And it's like they were fleeing for what they, they didn't know what they were doing there. Mm-hmm. And also, why why is there a crowd of 60 kids running around at 2 a.m.? Yeah. Well, I mean, and look, if someone breaks into my room in the middle of the night and there's 60 people with them, I'm going to do whatever I have to do to survive. And that feels incredibly reasonable. Right. And that's anyone, any person. Yes, yes, yes. And so just disgusting. Yeah. Yeah. So let's move on and talk about a few more terrible events. So in 1921, when the Key West chapter of the KKK was formed, they began tar and feathering black men who so much as looked at a white woman in a way that they deemed wrong. So for like any reason that they wanted to. This includes Manuel Cabeza, Claude Dorsett, W. Shannon, and Chris Cooper. The Key West KKK would kidnap their victims, take them to the furthest side of the island, tar and feather them, then either force them off the island or dump them publicly as a warning. And this went on for about 13 years. What the literal fuck? It's gross. It's just gross. In 1922, the KKK threatened to tar and feather a Texas pastor if he didn't close down the schools that had been built for people of color in rural Texas. You know, researching, saying this is hard. Like, you're like, what the fuck? And sometimes you're like, what the fuck's going on now, too? Ugh. It's it's shameful, right? And it it's an, it's an uncomfortable conversation to have. Mm-hmm. But I think having it is important it is. because if people don't know, then they don't know. Yeah. And a lot of like, I, I'll admit these specific things I didn't know. Within the past few years, I've learned more than I had ever learned in school. Same. same. But I still didn't know. I still don't know enough. Yeah, exactly. When we cover any true crime case, it is incredibly important for us to honor and respect victims yes. and their experience and to not glorify the people who are committing the actions, right? Mm-hmm. And to be clear about like who they are. And I think that so often people talk about what has happened to people of color in our country without saying who did it, right? We're not saying like the words white supremacist over and over and over again, because that is who's doing this, right? These are domestic terrorists who are committing these crimes. And as far as I'm concerned, right, those 60 students that attacked Samuel and Roger were were 60 white supremacists. That were deemed acceptable. That were deemed acceptable, that faced no repercussions. So when we we talk about the violence that has been perpetrated against people of color in our country in a passive way without saying who did it is part of the problem of how we talk about the history of how people of color have been treated in America. Agreed. Mm -hmm. So let's get back to the schools that were built in rural Texas. The schools had been created by Mother Catherine Drexel, who ultimately opened a dozen schools on Native American reservations and almost 100 schools in rural areas for people of color. And she's a literal saint. She was canonized in October of 2000. Interesting. Yeah. You don't hear about a lot of modern saints. And I feel like 1900s is relatively modern for saints. Yeah. Yeah. In April of 1971, a Dr. R. Wiley Brownlee, who was the principal of Willow Run High School in Michigan, was threatened with a gun, then tarred and feathered by a group of five to six men wearing KKK-like hoods. Dr. Brownlee had been advocating to formally honor Martin Luther King Jr. at a school board meeting. On his way home, there's a vehicle blocking his way on the bridge. As he slowed his car down, another car pulled up right behind him. Then a man put a shotgun to his head and instructed him to turn off his car lights and get out of the car. They pushed him to the ground and then poured five gallons of tar on him from his shoulders down. The assailants threw feathers on him and then let him go after two hours. He went to his school for help and a student saw him and took a photo of him. Dr. Brownlee's story went national and the KKK's plan to instill fear backfired. Several KKK members were charged in relation to this incident. Fucking finally. The Michigan KKK leader, Robert Miles, was arrested as part of this. 
1973, Miles was sentenced to four years for his part in the tar and feathering of Dr. Brownlee. He was also sentenced to five years for a conspiracy to bomb empty school buses that would be used to desegregate the local schools. Why? This feels like a shockingly short amount of time for a person who's doing these types of behaviors. Uh, yeah, yeah. Five years. Again, this is a domestic terrorist. So four years for what he did to Dr. Brownlee and then five years for a conspiracy. In 2014, at the Texas State University, after Trump was elected, there were threats that, quote, deviant university leaders would be tarred and feathered for their support of diversity garbage. What would diversity garbage be? You know, like the term garbage with diversity, like in no world can that be together in my head, you know? It's foreign to me. No, it doesn't. It doesn't make any sense. One of the reasons that we bring that up is, again, we said it at the beginning of this part of our episode was that how many times have you heard, if you don't know history, it's bound to repeat itself. But when we act like white supremacy isn't at the root of racism and shit like this happening and people talking about literally tar and feathering students in 2014, like. If you thought that we were beyond this, you're wrong. Yeah, I just hope the future is better. Better. And now that we're aware, I think it's our generation that we're aware of like, oh, there's a lot of gaps <laughs> in our knowledge of things. Perhaps we should fix those gaps and be open to learning and want to learn more instead of the mindset. And not everyone. I don't want to say every generation is like this, but many are like, I know what I know. I have things to do. I don't have time for that. And us for like, we need to make time to learn this so that we can educate. Like me as a mom, I want to make sure my kid is aware of all of the things that have happened. And yes, there is, you know, am I teaching a kindergartner a lot of this? No. But as he ages, like he knows that there's racism. He knows that there are different types of people, right? Like there's different people and different people, people can love and different everything and it's so normal to him that he doesn't even blink twice yeah and that's what i'm hoping for the next generation our people made some mistakes and now we need to be better and i'm hoping that that just continues it is uncomfortable to acknowledge and discuss they are not comfortable conversations to live in and they're not comfortable truths to acknowledge about history and i think being okay with being uncomfortable because that's the least we can fucking do is be unfucking comfortable. Yeah, and that might be it too. Is a lot of people don't they don't want to be, so they don't choose to learn that because they're like, that's that's a yikes. Like that's really hard and bad. Yeah. And sometimes I think just the realization that it wasn't that long ago hurts people's brains a little bit. I think that people assume they're like, today, theoretically, if these things were happening, it wouldn't happen the same way. But it's like, that's not true. That is not true at all. Because if that was true, we wouldn't have prisons that are filled disproportionately with people of color. We wouldn't have routine interactions with police ending with death if you're a person of color. There's so much work to be done. And I feel like people have the mindset of like, but this isn't then. Yeah, we're done with that. We're done with that. But in the same breath, they are so proud of things like the American Revolution and how that shaped our country. Like, they're so fucking proud of that. And how can you be so proud of that and so aware of how that affects America today and not be aware of the fact that things that have happened within the past hundred years and act like those don't influence where we are today? Like the very real like day to day ramifications of how that impacts our government companies, interactions, education, and so on and so forth. But hopefully with the idea that we simply must live in that discomfort mm -hmm. in order and for learn. this to happen. And learn. From and that. learn. So let's pivot our conversation a little. So we have talked about tar and feathering. We've talked about generally that it's used as a sometimes criminal, typically moral offense punishment. We say offense like in quotation. But we've talked, so we've talked about colonial America. We've talked about the 1900s and how people of color and their advocates were tar and feathered. And the next section that we're going to talk about is tar and featherings that happened in the U.S. and abroad that were inspired by moral outrage for other reasons. So not for British loyalism, not 
simply because of race. Just because of horrible things. Fucking horrible things. So in 1924, in Myersville, Maryland, in Frederick County, Dorothy Grandin, who was just 21, and her friend Mabel Mills had been in town for just about a week. I have seen some sources that said they were kicked out of Hagerstown, but I don't feel like you can get kicked out of a town. Like, I don't think you can do that. You know, like, I don't know. But I digress. They were visiting a friend who was Miss Kennedy. And there were murmurs about town that the women had been visited by men several times already during their short trip. A local newspaper reported that the women's actions angered the town and created an intense resentment. And this was so much that the sheriff wrote Dorothy and Mabel a letter asking them to leave. But apparently they didn't leave quickly enough. So on July 24th of 1924, Dorothy was actually headed out of town on foot. She was walking. It was 10 to 11 o'clock at night when a group of townspeople approached Dorothy and they were very angry. One of them was Mary Shank and she had brought a club with her. A little much. Shank thought that Dorothy had been intimate with her husband, Lloyd, and she brought the club just in case she found Dorothy and Lloyd together. So she finds Dorothy. She's not with Lloyd. Nevertheless, she hits her several times with the club, and then the group strips Dorothy before tar and feathering her. Dorothy pleads for help, and they just laugh at her. Mary later said that she didn't want to hurt Dorothy, but she was told that she too would be tar and feathered if she didn't do what the group had wanted. She did later, however, plead guilty for her part in the attack. Many of the men who were there were just watching and did not take an active role in the attack. There were a total of 20 people charged with the attack, including Mary. Twelve men were sentenced to prison time, and that included Harry Leatherman and Arthur Rice. Five were acquitted. Two were given suspended sentences. Mary served nine months in county jail, and the governor later pardoned nine of the men who had taken part in the attack And at that point, they had served just five months of their one-year sentence. Wow. Can you imagine just the mental hoops that you have to jump through to be mad at a woman for possibly having sex with men, but thinking it's okay to strip her naked in front of a group of almost 20 men? Seems a little backwards. And then I like that they got pardoned. And like Mary, they're like, no, fuck you. You're going to serve your nine months. Yeah. Okay. It's it's confusing. It's not. The math is not mathing here. Yeah. The math doesn't math for any of that. No. So in Ireland in 1971, there were multiple instances of young women being tarred and feathered because they were dating British soldiers. And this was during the Troubles in Northern Ireland. One of the victims, Martha Doherty, who was only 19 said that three masked women broke into her home and dragged her out and then tied her to a post. They then shaved her head, then tarred and feathered her. They took pictures of this too. Wild. So in 1981, Marita McElwee was found guilty of kidnapping after she tarred and feathered her ex-husband's fiance, Elizabeth Jameson McElwee. Marita and her ex-husband, John, were divorced in 1975. Marita said that she tarred and feathered Elizabeth because she believed that John was still her common-law husband and needed to stop Elizabeth from marrying John, because that's the only way to stop a marriage. Clearly. On March 24th of 1981, Marita and her sister, Robbie Jean McCorkle, broke into Elizabeth's trailer, cut her hair, stripped her from the waist up, spread tar on her, and then sprinkled feathers on top of that. They then took Elizabeth from her trailer and left her in the dump. They threatened her with a shotgun to make her comply during the ordeal. On March 26th of 1981, Elizabeth and John were married, so it didn't even work. I don't know why they thought it would. It just makes Elizabeth more sympathetic, does it not? Yeah, exactly. And then during her trial, Marita said that she did not believe she was morally wrong. She's like, I stand by this. Dumb. So dumb. It's just wild to me that that's like, you know how we'll solve this. Yeah, that that's even like the thought that came up. Now, this one's not that long ago. Yeah, that's what we were talking about at the beginning of the episode is is this last one that is our most recent instance, which is within the last 20 years. Isn't that weird? Yeah. So in 2007, a man in his 30s in Belfast was tarred and feathered by vigilantes. People thought that he was a drug dealer and law enforcement didn't take action against him. So masked men kidnapped him, 
tied him to a lamp post and then tarred and feathered him. They also made him hold a sign that said, quote, I'm a drug dealing scumbag. There's no other way. There's nothing else they could do. I don't understand this as a solution. I don't understand how that came to anyone's thoughts in 2007. Yeah. I'll solve this. There's a drug dealer and I must take accountability for this. What? If I was like, someone has wronged me or someone who I know, I don't think this would even come into my head. No, not at all. Well, today, people use tar and feathering as a euphemism for publicly shaming someone, which I, I mean, I guess it's not really in my vocabulary, but okay. It's also not in my vocabulary. But as Amanda and I were researching, one of the things that we would see would be like old political articles. They were like, they're tar and feathering and then insert just political rants against one party or the other. Yeah. And I was like, a little much. I don't think words are as bad as tar and feathering, you know? You can just say the word shame. That's, yeah, yeah. So that is our tar and feathering content for you today. One of the things that we love to do when we're doing episodes is we like to learn new things. And I think that today is one of those days where we came to this with very little information, just truly like a rudimentary understanding and knowing that it happened in colonial America Yeah, and not much else. And what an interesting journey it took us on. Not where we expected to be, but I'm glad we know. I'm glad to be more aware that it's always a net positive. So we are still in October in this episode where this is coming out the 21st, 20th. Mm -hmm. Our Super Bowl. <laughs> uh, yeah, Amanda keeps calling October our Super Bowl because more people are listening to spooky stuff in October. And there's only a little bit of time left, but there's about a week and a half to still enter our spooky giveaway where you could win a beautifully curated basket by Amanda filled with all types of spooky good stuff. It's worth over a hundred bucks. You can check out our website or our social media for ways to win. The deets and the hot goss are there. The deets and the hot goss are there. There's all types of fun stuff in both those places. If you have a spooky subject that you want to know more about or that you already know about, but you want to hear someone talk about that you're not hearing very often, feel free to send us your show ideas. We have a spot on our website. You can also email us, send them in some type of social media message, tag us in a story. You see a TikTok, just tag us underneath or insert other social media. And with that, have a great weekend. Thanks for creeping with us. Thanks for listening. And as always, a special thank you to our patrons who support us via Patreon. Please see the link in our show notes to learn more about how you, yes you, can begin to haunt the dump, guard vortexes, or even become a scorching Sasquatch. Ooh. Also in our show notes, you can find the link to our website, more information on our sources, our social media handles, and our merch store. We'd love for you to keep creeping with us. So if you like this episode, please subscribe, rate, review, and share the show with your fellow creeps and or ghosts. I beg of you. <laughs>
And that's rough. All that long ago. That's real rough. Yeah. I mean, literally. Yeah. Yeah. Up until oh god, I think she said the fifties or sixties. Um, but it looks like Google's telling me the sixties. That cannot be good for no. the vaginal ecosphere. You know, like I mean, yeah, she was clean, yes. but at what cost? Oh yeah, yeah. It it was not great for them, but. That just like blew my mind that that, you know, that was its purpose for so long. And I mean, the 60s, not that long ago. So scary. So, no, it's not that long random, ago. Random That's tangent. But when you said too that, close. That, that conversation with I see the woman's face saying that and I'm like, oh, my God. What I love is like your seven year old son was on this brothel, haunted he brothel wasn't, tour. He wasn't. No. He wasn't. He not, wasn't not there. No. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't trying to shame you. I was just more like, why not? They existed. He doesn't need to know what a brothel is. <laughs> no, he had no idea. He was in the bar grill part of it, just chilling, eating oh, some nachos. Honestly, a treasure. Uh, what a great time eating nachos in a haunted bar that used to be a brothel. Yeah, it was. There's a lot of families there now. Okay. Yeah, it's a family brothel. It's not making it better. It's not making it better. <laughs> now it's just like a little old uh, bar and grill, bar and, and spa, and spa, yeah. and spa. <laughs> and spa. Oh, no, it's a different type of massage. Uh, will this be at the end? Probably. And we're starting from the beginning so early. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it says app is not focused. I'm going to look up what that means. Oh, it means that you have gone to a different screen. Like you're looking at a different tab. It knows what you're doing. It told me it went. She's looking at something else right now. What's she looking at? She's not focused. <laughs> cushion cushion i mean that was partially yeah partially but i didn't mean to oosh it so much you know also move forward and it's really bad did you hear about the plane by the way no someone brought their dog and it wouldn't stop farting and two people ended up getting their tickets refunded because they had to sit next to the farting dog honestly if somebody was next to this farting dog it would make sense like i'm telling you that like she is stinking up rooms. Like, she's woken me up with her farts. They're that bad. Like, my eyes water. Is it her? It's terrible. Medicine? I think it must be because it wasn't like this before. That makes sense. No, it was like a 13-hour flight. Babies. Mm, no. Poor little gassy puppy. 